Matthew is sitting, minding his own business. Well, minding everyone's business. He's a tax collector. And there he is, sitting in his tax booth one day when Jesus comes along. And everything changes. Hi, welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. My name's Stuart and I get to be the minister here. It's brilliant to have you with us today, wherever you find yourself. And no matter where you are, or who you are, or even what you've done, remember that you are loved. You can find out all about who we are and what we do on our website at saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk. Today, I'm joined in worship by Lisa. She's going to lead us in prayer later in our time together. But now let's listen as she reads God's word for us. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 9 to 13, then verses 18 to 26. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. Matthew was working in his tax booth on a day like every other day. Matthew was a tax collector, or as others might say, a dirty Roman collaborator. Every day he sat in his little wooden tax booth, oppressing his neighbours, taking their hard-earned money and giving it to the empire, and probably skimming a bit from himself. It was a busy job collecting taxes in Capernaum at the top of the Sea of Galilee. The lake was busy with fishermen, ferries and cargo moving up and down all day and all night. Matthew's job was to take the empire's cuts of all the fish landed, all the goods transported and everything that was traded. And to grass on anyone who didn't pay up or who he thought might not be declaring all of their income. People hated him. They hated all the tax collectors. And not just in the way that we joke about the taxman. People like Matthew were despised. Who could take a job like this? Why would you? Taking money from your neighbours and giving it to, to them, the oppressors. 
How could he? How could he sit there every day and heap misery on people who are supposed to be his friends? Or at the very least, his neighbours? A neighbour is a big word in their society. You have responsibilities to your neighbours. You're supposed to treat them well. You are supposed to look after them. You're supposed to show them mercy and justice. But there were others like him, others who took jobs with the Romans, or the ones who did other kinds of jobs that no one should ever do. You know the ones, like those women. Matthew had seen the teacher around. He knew all about what he'd said and and what he'd done. Matthew had his ear to the ground. And people liked to talk. There was something about Jesus. Something different. Jesus wasn't like the other religious guys. They were also full of their own importance, swanning about with their ears and their graces and their holier-than-now attitudes. For them, everything was about rituals. Doing the right thing saying the right words in the right way at the right time. And of course, they decided who had complied. They called it observance. But mostly the only observance that was happening was religious leaders watching everyone else and commenting on their fears and their failures and their faults. One day, Matthew was sitting at his toll booth, just minding, well, minding everyone else's business, to be honest. And along came Jesus with some of his followers. He knew most of them. He had plenty dealings with the fishermen, Peter and Andrew, James and John. They needed a licence to fish and it was his job to make sure that they paid up and that they paid up for all the fish that they caught. It'd be fair to say that Matthew wasn't their favourite person. But that was nothing. Nothing compared to what Simon thought of him. Simon was a full-on political revolutionary, a zealot. He was always causing bother, inciting civil disobedience, probably what he would call direct action against the Romans. But nobody could ever prove that. He was always hassling Matthew and the other tax collectors. Collaborator scum, he called them. It wasn't as if Matthew had chosen this job. He'd pretty much been forced into it. It's not like there were loads of opportunities here. He was pretty smart. Too smart to fish, but perhaps in another life he'd have been a merchant. But that takes capital, and his family didn't have that kind of money. So here he was, taxing the people he'd once called friends. Sure, the money was okay, and there was always the possibility of a cut here and there for himself, but the cost of this job to his life was way bigger than a few quid here or there. His only friends now were others like him. Tax collectors. And some of those women, you know the ones that everybody makes a big show at being appalled by, but who always seem to have a steady stream of customers for their very particular services. As Matthew sat there in his booth sweltering in the sun, Jesus came over. He'd never done that before. Jesus was odd because he was in a man with absolutely no discernible source of income, no job. This wasn't even his hometown and he didn't have any family here. They were from Nazareth apparently, so no surprise he got out of that dump. So because of that, Jesus didn't earn anything and there was no tax to collect. So Matthew had never actually spoken to Jesus until now. Maybe you should look into that. Perhaps a tax audit was required. Jesus must get money from somewhere, everyone does. And if he does... 
he should be paying tax. It never ceased to amaze Matthew how often it was the famous people who thought the tax rules didn't apply to them, or to government officials, or their pals. As Matthew was planning out his investigation in his mind, bold as you like, Jesus walks up to his tollbooth in front of everyone and says just two words. Follow me. Follow me. It was hard to decide if it was a question, a proposition or a command. But Matthew did. Right there and then, he just got up and went. He followed Jesus. The people standing waiting to pay their taxes were astonished. Where was he going? He didn't even put up his back in five minutes sign. Matthew was oblivious to all of it. To all of the commotion and the hubbub. He didn't see the look of mild amusement on the fishermen's faces or the complete consternation on Simon's. All Matthew saw was Jesus. Later on, he found that moment hard to describe and even harder to understand. It was as if... It was as if Jesus had looked right into his soul. As if he'd been seen in a way that nobody had ever seen him before. It was as if his heart was on fire. But with love. An absolutely overwhelming sense of love. And that was it. He knew there was no going back to taxing people again, but what happened next was surprising even to him. Matthew threw a party. For Jesus. Jesus and his followers came to Matthew's house to celebrate his, well, his retirement. Let's call it that for now. And like any party in a small town, people notice. Matthew's having a party. Matthew's parties are legendary. Always with all the wrong kind of people. You know the ones. Ones who are great at parties, but not so much at going to church in the morning. Matthew's friends start to show up. And pretty soon there's a house full of his pals who are eating and drinking with Jesus. And listening to Jesus and wondering what on earth Jesus is doing here with Matthew. Why is he talking to them? But Matthew's pals aren't the only one who's noticed the hilarity. The party spilled out into the courtyard and on into the street. The purity police are out, out in force. In a competition, probably to see who could tut the loudest. Look at him, eating and drinking with that scum. Who does he think he is? And suddenly there was a hush. You could feel the wave of shame washing across the crowd. All those years have been told that you're nothing. You don't matter. You don't belong. Eyes that had been full of joy for the first time in a long, long, long time were suddenly downcast as all those old feelings welled up inside them. Of course Jesus would agree with the religious bigwigs. He's one of them, isn't he? He's a holy man. He's always in the synagogue, always going to Jerusalem for the festivals. He's always talking about God. Of course he'll take their side. But the disciples just smiled at each other, a knowing smile, raising their eyebrows, declaring, this could be fun. Matthew saw it, but he didn't really understand. What did they know that everyone else didn't? He was sure his guests were about to get roasted. That's the question at the heart of everything though, isn't it? Who are you here for? It's the one question we're all afraid to be asked. The one question we struggle to answer. 
Jesus only ever asks his followers to keep two commandments. Love God and love your neighbour as you love yourself. And the second one eventually gets an upgrade because like Matthew and his friends, we aren't always very good at loving ourselves. We all struggle struggle to believe that we're good people or that we matter or that we have anything to say or that anyone could love us. If we're to love others like we love ourselves, then to be perfectly honest, that love isn't going to amount to very much because, well, because we all struggle with self-worth and self-image. So self-love, that's not going to be very high in our agenda. But here's a thought. Perhaps we do treat others like we treat ourselves. And maybe that's part of the problem. So Jesus gives us a better example to follow. Love one another. Love one another like I've loved you. Jesus sighed. I'm not here for the righteous. I'm not even here for the religious. What? What did he say? That can't be right, can it? I'm here for those who don't belong. The ones who... The ones who are your neighbours but that you don't look after. I'm here for the ones you exclude. The ones who you think are worth less than you. The ones who have no place here, even though their place is right here. I'm here for these people. With piercing clarity, Jesus asked them and us, Who are you here for? I wonder, I wonder what our answer is. Who are you here for? And I wonder if there's a wrong answer to that question. If the answer is I'm here for myself, then that's okay. You're here because you want to be, because you need to be. You're here because you're thankful or painfully aware that you're a, well, a work in progress, or both at the same time. Just remember the other's part. We live in community, and often other people are both the problem and the solution. If the answer is, I'm here for others, then that's okay too. It's good to want to help, to want to support other people. Perhaps you've been through what they've been through and you know what it's like. But remember, in helping other people, we can't neglect ourselves. You can't draw from an empty well. But there's a third answer though. It's so often the one that we miss, the first commandment. Love God. We're here for God. Never has there been a change in atmosphere quite like the one when Jesus' words clattered across the courtyard and landed at the feet of his questioners. Matthew's face beamed. Jesus was here for him. It hadn't sounded real before, like it had all been some kind of mistake, but now, now Jesus had stood in his house and defended him and his friends. Now it was real. Now it all made sense. He'd heard about Jesus telling people that those who had nothing were blessed. Those who were looked down on were blessed. People who were sad were blessed and it seemed really odd at the time. But now it seemed the most sensible thing in the world. The most sensible thing he'd ever heard. Now it was real. Real for him because Jesus was here for him. And his life would never be the same again. Jesus was here for him and he was going to be there for Jesus and his friends. The next day things took a really unexpected turn. The leader of the synagogue turned up. 
He ran to Jesus and threw himself at his feet right there in front of everyone. Important people didn't run. And important people certainly didn't throw themselves at the feet of someone who kept the company Jesus was keeping. The man's daughter was sick. He needed help. He couldn't think of anyone else who could help. And so he begged Jesus to come. That's so often how we meet Jesus. In our greatest moment of need. When we've run out of all other options. When we can't think of anything else. When we, despite all our knowledge, come up with nothing. Well, not quite nothing. We come up with God. Jairus is the man's name. Mark's Gospel tells us that. Jesus agrees to go with him and just as they're leaving, a woman appears. She shouldn't have been there. Even Matthew was astonished to see her. Everyone knew what her problem was. She'd been bleeding for years and nobody could help. She was thinking, if I just touch his cloak. But that's a problem. Blood and holy people don't mix well. Blood and anybody doesn't mix well. There are all kinds of rules about that. But she was at the end of her tether. Nothing to lose. Only one thing left. She reached out and she touched him. And her bleeding stopped. Jesus turns around and says the strangest thing. Your faith has made you well. Faith? What faith? She didn't say anything. She didn't do anything. There was no ritual. She hadn't even been to class. It didn't make any sense. All she had was desperation and one last hope. And hope was what she left with. Healed with everyone watching. There would be no whispers about her. She had her life back. She had hope. Meanwhile news came that the official's daughter had died. By the time Jesus got there the rituals were in full swing. Mourners and sad music and all this stuff. For goodness sake. Get out of the way. She's only sleeping. And then he went and out they came. As if nothing at all had happened. A mixture of confusion and disbelief gave way to joy. She was alive. That's all they cared about. But her father knew. He knew that Jesus had spared his little girl. Not just spared her life, but spared all the questions. All the accusations and inquiries. Is this the girl who died? What was it like? There would be none of that. Just a little girl who'd been asleep and was now awake. Jesus gives them what he gives each of us. What we need. It starts and ends with love. You are loved, all of you. No matter who you are, what you... It starts and ends with love. You are loved, all of you. No matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like. Even what you've done or who you love, you are loved. Seems like such a simple thing to say you're loved, but to believe it's true, that's not always easy. To live as though it's true, that's a whole other thing. That takes effort and practice. That takes daily reminders and it takes each other. Loving each other is a choice. Sometimes it's the very hardest choice to make. And I don't mean hanging around where there's no love or something even worse. I mean choosing not to give in to hate. Not forgetting, but 
reaching for forgiveness so that you can put down all the burdens that other people have given you to carry. This story is what that looks like. How it feels. And that was only day one of being a disciple for Matthew. This was going to be way better than he had ever imagined. Although Jesus said something about him and Simon sitting next to each other at dinner tonight. What could they possibly have to talk about? This world can make us doubt God. When we see the starving child of the homeless man, when we imagine the plight of the abused woman or the fleeing refugee, this world can make us doubt, Lord. This world can make us tired, Lord. When news is 24-7 of plight, pain and poverty, when leaders say and do, what we'd reprimand our children for, when the needs keep on coming and the challenges keep on challenging, this world can make us tired, Lord. What can this world make us learn, Lord, when there are naked to be clothed, imprisoned who should be free, when there are thirsty needing water, what can this world make us learn, Lord? This world can make us love, Lord, when the outcast is left isolated, when the infirm are forgotten, when the anxious are misunderstood. This world can make us love, Lord, 
Teach us then, Father, Son, Spirit. Teach us all to go, to preach the good news, to be the good news, with love, with courage and service. Let us continue now with the words taught to us by Jesus Christ, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Are you the one who walks with the lame, who touches the leper and has nowhere to lay your head? Are you the one who breaks bread with tax collectors and sits at the table with sinners? The one who speaks truth to power and dethrones the powerful, blesses the poor and hungry and the meek, and the persecuted? Are you the one who's living water? Who loves the poor and mourns with mourners and weeps at death? Who scandalises rule makers and turns the other cheek? Are you the one who was anointed with perfume? Who washes the feet of your friends? Who loves the ones who deny you? Who loves their neighbour? Are you the one? The one who calls us. You are the one. And so we go to follow you. We go with your blessing. Today and always. Yeah.